What's up and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. This is your host, Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us today. This podcast is powered by Stick and Ball TV, the baseball and softball streaming platform. If you're a coach who's looking to grow your game to the next level, then Stick and Ball is just for you. With hundreds of videos updated weekly with some of the best coaches in the country, Stick and Ball is a no-brainer. Check it out at stickandball.tv or on the Stick and Ball TV mobile app. On today's show, we have on Dylan Nashotka, minor league hitting coach for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Dylan was born and raised in Bakersfield, California, and his playing career started at Stockton High School in Bakersfield before moving to Bakersfield College for three years. He then moved on to Hofstra University for a year and then to the University of South Carolina Beaufort for a year. Dylan started coaching in the summer of 2012 at Bakersfield College and remained there until the spring of 2020 when he was hired by the Dodgers. At BC, he worked as the hitting coach every year and also had duties working with catchers, infielders, outfielders, and base runners. He was slated to work in Ogden last year before COVID, and this year he is in Rancho Cucamonga. He and his wife, Jacqueline, are also expecting their first child and first baby girl at the end of July. On the show, we talk about his passion for helping high school hitters, which led him to write his book linked below. We also go over his assessment process and his advice on training hitters to compete in today's high velo, high spin environment. And with that, here's Dylan Nashatka. Dylan, welcome to the show. Hey, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So for the listeners who may not know you as well as I do, uh, I've gotten to know you over the last couple of years and I mean, you're a home run for the show. I don't know why it took me so long to, to get you on and so just, you know, putting that out there for the guests who, uh, who are, who are about to listen to just a, a dynamite conversation, uh, mainly me asking questions to you, but I am, uh, I'm, I'm really excited to get to share, uh, you with, with the world and, and get to share the mic with you today. But I did want to start off with a passion of yours, which is helping amateur baseball players. And so we'll get into, and the, the listeners heard you, you were in college for a little while and, and you uh, are now with the Dodgers, but you still have a, a huge passion for helping amateur players, which led you to write a book this off, or I guess, I, I don't know if it was off season or we'll call it COVID season, whatever we want to call it. But I would love for you to just go all in on, tell us about the book, tell us what's in it, tell us where to find it. And, uh, I have actually read it myself and I think that I had wished that I had gotten it as a teenager to be able to guide me, especially through the ever changing process of recruiting and, and now data and college. And it's just, it's crazy, but, uh, long story long, uh, tell us about your book. Yeah. So the book, Jonathan was something that really wasn't intentional, uh, at the beginning, uh, kind of started with some boredom and some blog posts and, also, a lot of conversations with kids I had worked with, with parents of the players that I was working with. And um, so I, I started writing these blog posts based on the conversations I was having, thinking, wow, I can't believe this player uh, didn't know this, or this parent thought that their coach was looking at this, uh, when really the coach doesn't care about that. He cares about this. So uh, I started working on the book. It's called The High School Baseball Hitter's Handbook. And the idea came kind of from my prior experience with junior college players and the expectations we had for them, as well as the conversation with the players, like I said, and the parents. But a lot of players uh, have simple questions like just 
what do I do in the tryout process? You know, what's my coach looking for there? Uh, do I need to lift weights? What types of strategies do I need in game to adjust to pitching and uh, to make myself successful on a consistent basis? So I've highlighted all of those in the book. Uh, I've also included some notes on college recruiting, again, kind of from my time at the junior college level. And now I have some great friends who've spent a lot of time in uh, the Division One and Two and NAIA and Division Three and all of these different levels. And so I've kind of collected information from them, from my own experience, um, and uh, just to kind of help with the timeline of recruiting, uh, what what a player can expect, when they can expect it, and maybe some conversations and conversation notes that they can have with coaches. So, um, and I think it's called the High School Baseball Hitters Handbook. Most of it's kind of applicable to, to position players um, or even pitchers, but uh, there are some points geared specifically toward hitters as well. Uh, there's a, a hitting journal portion. And um, yeah, so I, I try to hit all the points in there. It's a 124-page book. Uh, it's digestible, I think, to uh, a high school age player and uh, also hopefully useful to players and, and even coaches. Um, it's like maybe four years worth of conversations you might have with a player kind of packaged into a book, hopefully, to help that player uh, to, be, to be better at his high school and then be better served for college. Definitely. And I, I mean, I, like I said earlier, I read it in one setting, it's very digestible, very, you know, it's very well thought out. And it's something that you could go back to from time to time. If you have questions about different things like that, I will also put a link down in the show notes for those who are curious and can find it on Amazon. And I'm sure all of the, the different places that you buy books, but I, I would love to really dig into hitting. And I mean, I know that that's something that you're also passionate about and we can go in whatever direction that you want with this. Uh, but just as far as the assessment process, it's going to be different from younger players, uh, you know, teenagers to the guys that you're working with, which, which some of them may still be teenagers, but they're a lot bigger, stronger and faster and professional than most amateur players. But start with, you know, the the teenage kid who is in high school I mean, what, what are some different things that if they, you know, sent you an email or, or if you were going to work with them in the off season, what would your assessment process be just to figure out, Hey, what do I do first with this player? So if you don't mind, just walk us through that a little bit. Yeah. Well, the first, I think the first thing is figure out what makes him tick. Like what's his personality like? What's something I can connect with, with him, uh, as quickly as possible. So and maybe also with that, maybe a, a 1A to uh, that topic would be also who is his idol or mentor with his swing now. So if I can figure out maybe uh, if if his dad taught him his hands, you know, and his dad's his idol and he taught him how to use his hands, probably the first thing, the first time I meet the player would not be to talk about his hands, you know, like let's just listen to him about his hands. Uh, the swing is so, it's so difficult uh, to build a swing that has no holes. So um, there's going to be something else going on that we can probably help him with that day. But, but find out what his personality, like, his personality is like and, and also kind of uh, who his idols are for his swing that, that was built. So that would be number one. Number two, what kind of misses does he make? Um, and misses meaning like, does he actually swing and miss or is there also like ground out, fly out, like 
Is he getting, uh, is he hitting balls on the hands off the end? You know, what kind of misses is he making there? I think is really important. And then what the last thing would be, what kind of movements are leading to the miss uh, or what might be lacking? So uh, is he needing more movement? Um, some are. I mean, we're uh, a lot of times looking at swings and thinking, oh, we could take movement out, take movement out, take movement out. But I think there's a lot of times we need to actually add movement too. So that would kind of be my hierarchy, I think, Jonathan. No, I really like that line of questioning because I think the, the, the swing is so personal to us and it's something that, and, and this is something that, that I learned with some different, some of the Latin kids, especially whenever, you know, you go to spring training and I don't, I don't know some of these guys, but I had heard, I think you even mentioned that question last year and, uh, on our, you know, our group chats. And so I started using that and it was amazing to see, okay, they're modeling their swing after X player who had made this impact on them, or, or even you mentioned their dad. And so for us to strip that from them in the first session without gaining any trust or love or even just sweat equity time with them, then we're going to get some pushback with that. And I think that that's a really, really great point that I want to hammer home for our listeners too, because I've, I've been super guilty of that, of being like, hey, that's that's just not going to work, right? And if that's the first thing that we go to, then it ha- I think I do think it has to be a conversation like you're talking about and really finding the why behind it. Uh, and so I, I just want to, again, is there anything else that you'd like to add to that point? Um, well, that, that's just, uh, I think that's just the foundation of it all. Uh, you hit on it is figuring out, uh, figuring out what, I would say the player is okay with changing or um, what he, what nobody really wants to make a change. Otherwise they'd be making changes all the time, which wouldn't be good. But yeah, I guess figuring out like, what's your Avenue, what's your window to help him. And when you do have that opportunity, when the player is ready, willing and able that uh, yeah, you, you just have some feel for the player. It's tough. It's really tough to learn that. And especially if, you have a very limited window to work with him. If you've got a day and like mom and dad brought him in and he doesn't even know he has anything going on with the swing, um, it's going to be really tough to learn, you know, to learn that. But yeah, maybe asking those prying questions like, Hey, you know, why do you do this with your leg? Oh, um, I do have my leg because my favorite player is Fernando Tatis. Oh, cool. Let's look at Fernando Tatis's swing. And then you're going to have an avenue to, to work on a, a few different things. No, that's fantastic. So one of the one of the next things that I I really I want to hit on with you is after we go through the assessment process and and we're talking you know we're talking through all of this stuff. It is a two way conversation, and and one thing that I have picked up from you is that you are a super good listener and a a really thoughtful question asker. And so I I, I think that that's something that that I really need. <laughs> to one, do a better a better job of, of asking those probing questions, making sure that I'm on the same page with them rather than, hey, here, you know, and I, I mean, we're so limited on time too, that it is, it's a balance for me of, hey, we, it probably depends on the time of year too, or is it in the middle of a season? Uh, how long is this going to take? Uh, how, how, how much of a relationship do I have with this player? And I just really, I love uh, uh, that those aspects of it, because it is, you know, is it something that's going to affect them long-term versus short-term? Are we trying to win now versus, uh, are we playing the long game and, and all of that stuff goes into it. 
And so I, I just, I love the depth of that, of that one question. And I just, again, I, I need to start using that more. But another thing that, that I think that you really love to talk about is training hitters. And there's, there's so many different pillars and aspects to that. And, uh, you know, we have lots of different camps, which I think if we're looking at it holistically, if we're trying to make players become better in games, then we need to take pieces from everything and really uh, learn, learn to, to help them learn how to hit. And so tell us a little bit about what training hitters is like for you. Uh, and I may, I, I may ask you to go some different directions with that, but just whenever I say, hey, how do we train hitters better? What's, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Uh, it depends on your hitters. <laughs> it, it, I think it totally depends. Sure, because, yeah, so if you've got a 9U team and you want to train hitters, like we used to play this game uh, when I was in like PE in elementary school, which was like a long tennis racket. It was one of these old wooden tennis rackets. And you just like flip a ball, flip a tennis ball and hit the ball with the tennis racket. And I remember how fun that was being a baseball player playing this game in, in recess. Like, I could hit the ball way further than I could ever hit a regular ball. And it was just a blast. And I, I remember thinking sometimes like at baseball practice, you know, like our coach's BP is like not really that good. Uh, we, we get to hit like seven balls, like half of them hit me in the thumbs and hurt. I wish we could just play this at practice sometimes. And so like, if you're, if you're a nine U team and you know, these kids love to play at that age generally. And, uh, but maybe they're falling out of favor with the game because it's just maybe they're practicing a lot and uh, mixing in that, you know, this is just a dumb idea, but mixing in a game, uh, you know, to practice what you're doing. But uh, with with pro hitters, uh, it's the same. It's like you, you just got to have feel for what's going on. They have a routine and they're going to stick to uh, some specific sets of routine, but uh, there's a lot of conversations going on with myself and the hitters and, Hey, is there something we need to tweak with this routine? Is this routine, uh, do we need to add something in here? Maybe a different drill. Do we need to add a new feel in, uh, are we struggling with, uh, some pitch type, you know, maybe we need to get you just like a different look at some pitches, um, start you open or closed, uh, or, you know, maybe your timing is in a weird place and we need to do some timing drills. So uh, I think there's a lot of different layers to work on uh, in in hitting. Uh, the timing element is important. Uh, your timing gets better, the better you move. So you need to work on that too. And, and then it's just some like a body awareness, uh, you know, different fun things that maybe build body awareness and uh, even competition, right? So you can be the the best. Uh, you can be the best batting practice hitter. We all know, like the the five o'clock hitter uh, who crushes batting practice, and then uh, the RBI situation comes up in the game. Uh, he gets first pitch fastball down the middle and can't pull the trigger because the fans are there. And so, if uh, you're practicing competition, um, sometimes you can, I guess, kind of prime guys for that position. Um, but yeah, I, I think long, again, long, I, like you said earlier, long story long, um, it would, it would really just be like finding out what your group needs based on their age and that time. And it's always evolving. Um, Absolutely. It's, yep. sometimes I feel like I have the right answer for like, uh, the destination of the ship and I'm just like, all right guys, here we go. 
and then and then two weeks later it's like all right the ship ship has shifted course we need to turn back so um that's i think what's really fun um and it's fun to try to keep keep the pulse of the offense too and uh the pulse of each hitter and and seeing like where they're at that's 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 a really fun part of uh, of coaching for me, but yeah, long long answer for you there. <laughs> no, no, keep keep with the long answers because I love again I love hearing you work through the different scenarios just because everything we do as as coaches there's going to be some of it that is pretty cut and dry, but most of it is so variable depending on the situation that we're in, the players that we have, the time of year, what the the energy of the team is like, you know what what all have we covered before, and so it it. It is a, I like the long story long, just because you are going through the depth of what it takes to work through different situations. And part of that's probably me asking not cut and dry questions either. Uh, but anyway, so with, with that being said, I would love to, to understand. So let's say you're working with some older groups and uh, let's say that again, it's, it's, we, we've got a certain amount of time that we spend on the swing and a certain amount of time that we spend on learning the skill of hitting. Uh, and so t- take us through, let's say that, that I gave you our team at Owasso high school. And I said, Hey, Dylan, you've got, uh, this week it's right, you know, right in the middle of our season. And so we're not going to take a ton of different mechanical changes, but I would love to start to tick away at this, you know, this skill of hitting. And so how, what environment would you set up within that? Just different. Is there any drills that you really like to train adjustability or pitch recognition or movement, what, whatever it is, uh, just kind of empty the bag for us on what you really like as far as, uh, you know, that we could, that we could steal from you that you really like for like a team setting rather than a one-on-one. Um, I kind of like throwing the house at them to be honest. Uh, so based on what they can do, you never want, you never want players, uh, to get put into settings where every, like swing is just out of panic uh, and uh, they're just trying to touch the ball. So, you know, sometimes that can happen with really high velo machine or uh, maybe some spin. That's just ridiculous. Uh, But I kind of like throwing the house at them. So, you know, for training adjustability, uh, we, we do like this long pepper game um, and and I do it with our guys. I actually did it at the college when I was there too. And it's stolen from uh, Bob Bennett, who was at uh, Fresno State, um, longtime Fresno State baseball coach who's in the ABCA uh, Hall of Fame. And he had uh, this this pepper game um, that he used with his team. And so you just put like two infielders on each side of the infield. You play them on the infield grass. You throw them really kind of soft BP and have the guys tell the player what direction they want the ball to be hit. So uh, left or right. And, uh, like as the ball is being thrown and that way the, the player can't really cheat too much with their body. They're kind of getting to the same place every time, but they're manipulating the swing a little bit. And, um, I'm not a huge fan of like barrel manipulation in the game, but I think it's just from a hand eye standpoint. I mean, the ball's going 25, 30 miles an hour and it's a, a pretty low intensity. So I think it's a fun way to work on some of that. It almost simulates like getting a slider, uh, in the game and, but like still looking fastball. Um, so I like doing that long pepper game at the college. We did it kind of like a, 
a championship setup. We had like four fields going at the same time. And the, the champion field was like the main field. And then the other three fields were in the outfield. And uh, so that was fun. With our guys here, we do it uh, once a week. We didn't do it last week, but we've typically done it once a week. Um, and then, like I said, the other stuff, just throw the house at them, like hard stuff. They need to see as hard as they, as hard as you can throw them with them still hitting it sometimes. Um, I've heard you need a success rate of like 70%, um, but baseball success is I don't know, kind of different um, in the in the fact that to hit a ball perfect, which I guess is success hitting, um, is really, 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 really hard. And it just doesn't, even the best players don't hit it perfect every time. So, uh, just having it's you just have to dial back the speed if needed but um and then throwing spin at them or e either throwing curveballs yourself or uh just having a machine with curveballs which would be preferred for sure uh to save your elbow and shoulder and all that um variable flips even uh so if you're throwing flips to guys like just throwing them fast soft kind of uh one thing i stole from some of our players who uh are with us now is they, they would come into the cage and say, hey, throw me a fastball curveball in flips. And I'm like thinking, man, this, I don't know, this is maybe bordering on like eyewash, man. I don't know if this is going to help, but yeah, we do it. But like, then I grew to like really love it because some guys will just take the curveball, but they're just looking for the spin. And then they're looking for, uh, for themselves to be on time for the fastball. So like, I'll try to like sneak fastballs in with flips and, and they're just on them. And then others will want to swing at both. Um, and it's just, it's a simple way to work on some variability. Uh, you can do it with probably wiffle balls. Like uh, even you could do side toss with wiffle balls and just change speeds. So uh, that's a really easy one. And uh, I think something anybody could use. No, fantastic. Uh, so with the with the variable flips one thing that that i wanted uh just to to get a, a little bit of a, of a better idea on are you changing speeds or are you even changing like the the grip and the spin for those yeah both um like a couple of guys like a couple of the guys like two seam versus four seam um a couple want me to actually spin the ball a different direction and uh so yeah, or some just like me to throw it softer and just kind of loop it in there. It, it depends on like what they prefer. It's funny because they all prefer something different. Um, so, so I guess that goes back to sort of the conversation of uh, why like some guys like these things overhand, um, some don't, and they're you know the underhand versus the overhand uh, guy who likes those different flips. They aren't better or worse hitters. They're both. Uh, I would say our guys that like overhand flips are, are the, you know, just as good. So, uh, but yeah, changing spins, changing just speed, it works, whatever, whatever the guy likes or you like. For sure. So for the, for those listening who are curious how to develop in season, so you're in the middle of the season right now. And I think it's, it's a, it's a really tough balance and you've got younger players. Uh, so they're, you know, they've got a couple of different levels to develop before they get uh, to the major leagues. But I know the Dodgers and I know you and you guys still want to compete at a high level. So tell us a little bit about or at least maybe give us some advice, because I think we all want to develop players. 
while developing the team. And I'd love to hear just your thoughts behind how, how we can do that in a way, uh, especially I'm thinking for the guys who, uh, mainly two groups, the guys who are playing every day, who we need to be successful, but we still see who, who can improve. Uh, I mean, and that, that's almost all players, uh, but, or the other, and the other side of the coin is the players who aren't playing every day, who we see could help us down the line that are, they're, I don't want to say they're, they're rotting on the bench or they're sitting on the bench, but most of their time is spent on the bench rather than competing every day. So you've got these two different groups. I'd love to hear your process of making sure, uh, and this may be more for college and high school. Uh, and so let me walk back from the question a little bit and, and we'll, we can go to pro ball too. But just your thoughts on you know the high school player when you've got 25 guys on a team and you may have some that are more promising prospects in a year or two, but are not getting to play every day. That's bucket number one. And then bucket number two, how do we make sure that the guys who are playing every day are still uh, developing without uh, losing some of that competitive edge? Sorry if that's a really long-winded question, and I, I feel like I keep doing that, but I think you're going to work through that and be awesome with the answer. Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. That, that one's hard. Um, so you've got your bucket of players who, first of all, uh, aren't playing that much, but like might be guys in the future. And then your second bucket would be uh, your guys that are playing, right? That was the, the two buckets. Yes. Okay. So first of all, your guys that aren't playing that you might be pro. I think everybody's a prospect. Um, I don't, if I have somebody on the team, they're a prospect. So I can't, I would never, I, I think we should never, definitely never neglect somebody. Um, but I think, they, while the techniques <clears throat> may get more aggressive with somebody who's not in the lineup, um, it I think on both sides it should be the same. So, like, if the player's in middle school, um, what is he, like, working toward? Like, yeah, he's working toward success today, but uh, his goal might be to be uh, the starting shortstop on his high school team. And then if he's in high school, his goal might be to be the starting shortstop at Vanderbilt. And then if he's at Vanderbilt, his goal is probably uh, to be the starting shortstop for an MLB team. So there, while like younger, younger players don't always have a sense of where they want to go or they have a vague sense because they don't understand maybe the work that's going to be required to do it. Um, if you can figure out what their goals are and just work toward that all the time, that's best. Um, uh, you can't, I, I don't, I don't like to, I fall into it too. Like I want to win, uh, at six 30 tonight against San Jose mm -hmm. for sure. sure. But, uh, but the important thing with our guys is that they're ready to be, uh, you know, driving a run in at Dodger stadium in two, three, four years. Um, so like tonight's tonight's game doesn't matter at all. And I think um, as like mentors of people, like if we're if we're truly loving them, uh, we're truly invested in them, like that's our game doesn't matter. And if if you work on things to make them better, they're going to get better. So uh, your game is actually also going to end up better, too. So um, that's maybe the prep of like the answer, just because I love that. Yeah, I've, I've, I mean, I've, I've been there where it's like, man, this guy's got to be good today. But like, if you're, you're always putting band-aids on things and, and the guy's never really, he's never really getting better. So, um, 
if you can figure out what are his goals, work toward his goals. Um, his goals might not be your goals. You know, his, his goals might just to be to play and have fun. And like, that's fine too. There's plenty of players that want to just play and have fun. And like, they're great people. Um, I, I coached a, a bunch of them. They're great people. They, uh, a lot of times are great teammates, but they don't really care to play at the next level. They don't cha- They don't care to change like their skill set or to improve it. And, um, just because you think they should be a better player or like change something doesn't mean you're on the same wavelength and doesn't mean that they're again, bad people. Um, so let's say the guy's not playing, you know it. And, and if you know it and you're not telling him, then that might be an issue. So maybe be, be upfront and like, Hey, you're not going to be in the lineup for two weeks, like mm-hmm. the next two weeks. I know that. So let's like, let's get silly with some things. Um, Let's work on some things that are maybe going to be uh, a little uncomfortable and uh, or maybe they're just going to be great. We don't know. But let's let's work on it. And like, here's exactly where you're at. Um, if you're honest with them, then I think that's a, a good way to start things. The guys that that's playing and the guy that's not playing, both of them, you, you really don't want to work on something that's just going to blow their confidence up, um, especially the guy that's going to be in the lineup a lot. So. Um, as you work on things, it's got to be all additions. Uh, if you're subtracting things out of his swing or you're like completely blowing his mindset up um, or just destroying his confidence somehow. And, and it, it's really easy to destroy confidence. Um, like one great case study of this is next time you're golfing and your buddy's golfing really well. Just like tell him the thing he's doing with his pinky finger right now is really good. And like you'll watch, you'll <laughs> yeah. just watch confidence, you know, just go down the drain. So it's way easier to mess a hitter up uh, than to build them up. And uh, so you know, whatever you need, it's it's a case by case thing. But um, when when you see uh, room for the player to grow, just like attack it and maybe attack it slowly. Um, make him aware that like, hey, there's this thing that's you know getting you out sometimes you're doing this other thing that's you're really good with and that's why you're getting hits and it's you're a great player uh let's also work on this other thing and and good players tend to uh crave that they tend to crave getting a little better all the time it's funny that you mentioned god that exact same thing was is that an inner game of tennis i can't remember where i was reading that in the last week but they almost mentioned that exact same phrasing. So I, I, I love that. I'm, and I really need to use that next time I'm doing something They're like, Hey, what, what is your, uh, what's your big toe feel like, like right now? Just to, you know, if I'm competing against somebody, that's really, really good. Oh, it's a surefire way, Jonathan, to, uh, to not necessarily boost your golf score, but like to ruin your <laughs> friends. <laughs> no, well, you got to win in some way or another. Right. I love that. So the next thing that that I want to dig into you with, uh, and and I know that this is something that that you're passionate about, and that's the the mental side of it. And I, man, I I really, I've really started to dig in more and taking this summer uh, to really dive into best practices. And again, it, it all depends when, when and how to approach it, what type of relationship that we've got. But just from from your experience, from you know, you've got you work with with youth age kids, probably eight to 10, all the way up to guys who are going to be in the big leagues in the next couple of years. So just talk to us a little bit about what the mental game is, what it means to you, just some different best practices, things that you like to help with or to help them be aware of and just things like that. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. The middle game is, is so many different things. So it's like, it's your ability to prepare before the game. So that takes its own like, uh, mental, uh, clarity, but also sort of, uh, mental strength, um, especially in the pro game. Like these guys play a lot of games in a row. Uh, they wake up, they have to, they, they go through a practice session every day. Like, it's not just that we, we don't just get loose, play, go home. Um, you know, they've got weights, they've got, um, skill work, they've got prep work, they've got, uh, everything going on. So, um, it's, it's a mental sort of grind, I guess, uh, for that portion, uh, for that practice portion every day. So, uh, there, there's like a mental strength element, uh, to that. Then you've also got your like mental focus element, which is when I'm in the box, can I, can I clear it all out and get ready to play? Um, I had, there was a player I was talking to with us who said, man, I hear everything when I'm in the box. And then, uh, our pitching coach, um, Ramon Troncoso talked about his time with the Dodgers and working with uh, a mental specialist. And he said he would look into the back of the, the catcher's glove. And when everything around that glove went black and all he saw was the pocket, that's when he threw his pitch. And I thought, man, like there's levels uh, to this focus thing for sure. And then there's also uh, with the mental game, there's also this uh, uh, recovery element like during games. Like, okay, I took a bad swing. How do I flush that out? Can I take a deep breath? Uh, can I look at a focal point? Um, and, then, and then I guess the next, the, the last layer of the mental game would be, uh, can I take the things I did, look at them objectively and not subjectively after the game, and then make those adjustments for tomorrow's game, and then do it all mm, over again the so next good. day? Yeah. So there's so many layers, and um, like it's not just being confident. Like there's uh, confidence gets thrown around a lot. It's um, it's very important. Confidence for me is like the most important foundational layer of being a good baseball player and a good hitter, but it does, it's not like confidence, like, uh, you know, having seven chains, you know, and kind of like walk into the plate with your shoulders back, like not bravado, you know, confidence is, is sure. more like this inner feeling that you're like, you're ready, you're ready. You can mm -hmm. win the situation, you know, and you know, Hey, maybe I got a broken finger, but like, I'm going to win this situation, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so so con yeah, the confidence element, how do you build the, the, you build that, I guess, through just lots of effort and time and sweat equity and, um, having that inner calm, that inner peace with what you've done. And, and if you don't have that, uh, again, it goes back to, I guess, the communication, but, um, if players don't have that, like find out where they feel like they're lacking because that's their feelings, uh, are what's important. And if they're feeling like they're not prepared then then maybe something's off and need to, needs to be worked in or worked differently or thought about differently um, so again that's a, a really long answer but like there's so many the mental game has so many angles to it um, and uh, and then the, and then the confidence uh, piece is like its own separate entity um, that always should be there you know it should be like this like Iron Man's sort of like glowing light right like he's always he's got the light like that's sort of how the hitter should have his confidence and 
um, we, we can't we can't steal the light from them. We got to we got to give that to them and let them have it, and just try to build that up all the time. No, I love that, and uh, you know, I, for me, I, I think you know, confidence. It is. It, it's like it's, but it's not that bravado, fake confidence that you're talking about. And I think you know, sometimes showing up does help with confidence. Like moving uh, gets gets through that fear of of, you know, what if, what if this happens? What if that happens? I think moving helps with that. But I think that, you know, if we can just help them to understand, uh, what to focus on, uh, to trust their preparation, uh, to that they are in direct control of some things and not of some other things and finding a way to give their best in every, you know, every moment, then I think that a lot of that helps with confidence. And, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago, I had on the Eastern Oklahoma State baseball coach and and he talked about do you want to feel good in practice or do you want to feel prepared? And I I really I resonated with that a lot because and you mentioned, you know, your 70% success rate and and I know that that Joey Votto talks about failing 50% of the time, which is a you know a good number for him, but a lot of that confidence comes from hey, I've been in this situation before and I know that I can influence it in a positive way and you may give me once, but you're not going to get me twice or you're not going to give me three times. And every single time you're coming up with, uh, those solutions to whatever problems that you're facing. And, and I think that, you know, that's ultimately where, where confidence comes from. It's, it's, it's just knowing that, uh, that I can have a positive impact on, on the situation. And, and I, I don't know, maybe I'm spitballing here, but it, there are also different layers of confidence too, because I think, you know, we, we think sometimes that uh, Bryce Harper want to be youth player with seven different Evo shields and, you know, all of the gear that walks up to the plate uh, with, with a swaggy walk and goes over four, that's not confident. You know, that's just, that's, that's that bravado or that's that piece of, of he's compensating for something. Right. And so just, is there, I, I mean, and, and for the listeners out there, especially for the players, this goes on in pro ball too, you know, and, and this is not something that, it doesn't matter what level you're at, there's fear and there's, there's at times you're having over twenties and that confidence is waning. But I mean, uh, just talk to our listeners about that too, because I, I'm sure you see that as well. Oh yeah. That the, just because the players are, are getting paid doesn't mean they're any different um, than any other player, except for, you know, of course, like the skill set uh, on the pro side is uh, they've got tools. And, and so, uh, but there's still people, yeah. And you, so like you were talking about the, you know, preparing in a difficult situation mm-hmm. and uh, like, for instance, throwing like a velo machine at guys. I, I've made some mistakes this year with uh, machine settings and like, sometimes you set the machine up and you start throwing a pitch at them and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, that looks good. Like that looks about like what, what it should look like. And then the guys just get torched. Um, they get eaten alive. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so uh, like one this year was uh, big hack, uh, long legs, and I was throwing like a lefty curveball at him. And I had done it once, but I forgot the settings. So uh, I had done it once and it was money. It was like this perfect like lefty kind of like slurve rolling into the zone. The guys like were, at, of course, a little uncomfortable at first, but it just worked really nice into the, into the swing plane. 
And then I threw another one and I, I should have taken pictures of the settings is where I messed up, but mm-hmm. I threw it and I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I want a little bit more side to side. And it ended up like Randy Johnson slider. Um, <laughs> that's what we called it. We called it the Randy sure. Johnson machine. That's and awesome. like guys hit balls off their, like off their ankles. Um, and like guys really did start to doubt. I think that they were, uh, that they should be in pro ball that day. Like some, some guys were like, and we had guys dropped. that, yeah, we had, we had guys that went to the plate that night and like just had no chance. And it was like, wow, that carried into the game. That was not good. Um, but yeah, we, we see the same thing, Jonathan. I think like there are guys that go through stretches where they doubt that they should have ever been playing baseball. Um, we go through stretches where guys just mm-hmm. like are completely disengaged um, uh, for whatever reason. You know, they have families, they have things going on too. We have stretches where a bad call ruins a guy's day. Like mm-hmm. it's just, you know, I, I, it happens at nine U it happens at uh, a ball. Uh, it's the same thing where uh, an umpire, you know, might, might decide that he wanted to show off his punch out. Um, and then the hitter is like, wrecked by it you know so um each of those are learning opportunities though if uh, we can notice them talk about them and um, i think every time it happens as long as you you can like talk about it uh and the player doesn't shut you out um he learns that like okay when i strike out my first at bat like i'm not gonna die uh it's a good thing (laughs) like we're gonna be okay it's especially if we take a, a punch out on a corner or like even off you know that's not always bad. I mean, if, if the bases are loaded and you take that punch out and everybody's frustrated on the outcome, but if the umpire, like if he rang him up on a a pitch, that was a couple balls out of the zone. Do you really want your guy swinging at that anyway? Um, So maybe it's going to set him up to have a better game later uh, or a better season or, or what have you. So yeah, those, those things happen. People are going to be people. Uh, the same mm-hmm. big leaguers are people too. And we see them on TV sometimes and think they're these perfect human beings. And, um, you know, they, the conversations are the same. It's like guys, uh, are, are tired sometimes they're frustrated sometimes and, uh, they're working through it. Um, the ones who get paid to do it and paid a lot of money just work through it faster. So sure. it just takes a couple pitches. Right. No, I, I, I'm right there with you. And I, I think I love the story that illustrates that. And I want to go a couple of different directions with that one. But I did want to also talk about just, you know, compare and, and convince is is truly, you know, one of the things that that all players do no matter what level. And, you know, it, whether it's you're an established veteran on a team and then you get traded or you've got a young prospect at your position and you're trying to keep it or there's so many different scenarios that go into this. And I think that's something that we all struggle with, but I also think that, like you said, the best don't do it for very long. I did want to ask about, because this comes up a lot with, you know, machines and, you know, players are saying, Oh, it it messes up my timing or I want to feel good before a game. And and I get that to a certain degree, but what are your thoughts on uh, the level of machine use uh, before a game? Because I think there's, there's probably a middle ground, but I, I feel like there's there's these two different camps. It's like we want to feel good and have confidence before we play, and then you've got the other camp that's like, well, we want to see some velo, 
And maybe it's even, I think Barry Bonds talked about turning the Velo machine up to like 110 because it slows everything down. And I think that that's interesting. I don't, I don't think he hit off of it. I think he actually caught it with a mitt. Uh, but I, I would love to hear just your thoughts on how do we balance that? What do the player? What do the players ultimately, uh, once you integrate them in both sides, what do they like? Uh, and just kind of walk us through, you know, just just your process in deciding what players need and when. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how. Like typically, you don't get a ton of time pregame uh, in high. Like in high school, uh, where I'm from in Bakersfield. Uh, they they have a rule against batting practice before the game, so oh, that's interesting. really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shout out to the Kern High School District. Maybe rethink that rule. Terrible rule, but um, it, no, all serious. Uh, probably, I think if they need something to feel comfortable, like occasionally give them something to feel comfortable too. Um, we we don't need to like break the player and mold them into what exactly we need. Um, I think it's important to see a machine sometimes. It's important to see some velo sometimes. Uh, at, <clears throat> the younger the players in our organization, the uh, more hesitant they are uh, to machine. But typically, the older they get, like the more they realize, I'm, I'm seeing this machine because uh, the guys in AA, they ride it. You know, They throw 94, 95 at the top of the zone or more. And they've got plus ride, which makes the ball appear to actually rise on me. So I need this fastball velo machine because it's the only thing that can simulate it. So this is what I actually need to work on that. And that doesn't mean they, they if they have like a big leg kick or something, that uh, they use the big leg kick. Maybe they, maybe they just don't move their feet, but it's just something that they see uh, to see the ball with. And there are guys that really don't like the machine. I mean, um, there are a few, especially with like at our level, and uh, we just also try to give them flips. Like we don't always just hit a bunch of velo and then go into the game. Uh, like on Sundays, we sure. just throw flips at them. Um, on nice. occasionally, we'll have a day during the week, you know. And I, our big league, one of our big league hitting coaches calls it a daycation. We'll give the guys just like a little extra time. <laughs> I really like that. Uh, yeah, so like we'll give them a little extra time uh, before they get to the ballpark and. So they can sleep in and, you know, maybe get a nice breakfast and stuff like that. And, uh, and, and we'll get in sort of late. We'll throw flips at them. They'll go through their cage routine and then they'll go play. And I haven't seen us perform worse on days where we just throw flips at them. Um, uh, I think guys will overhit batting practice at our level. Um, it's not, I know we always want to see batting practice, but, but you're getting your meat on your bone in, all the other work, uh, and the targeted work. So, uh, mm-hmm. if you're playing games consistently, like in high school, you're playing maybe two to three days a week. Um, if you're trending toward three, you know, maybe you don't need batting practice every day. Maybe, maybe some targeted cage work is where it's at. Um, yeah, those are, t- it's wow. tough though. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Really good. Really good. So before we get into the quick hitters and let you go and, and hopefully go win a bunch of ball games and get a bunch of guys uh, to the big leagues, so uh, you told this story about you making the mistake of having a, like a high velo and then you were gone for one day and your players just absolutely raked. I absolutely love that story. Do you know the story I'm talking about? Oh my gosh! Yeah, please, yeah. please share you, that you with in. us. I I love so, uh, I love this story. 
Yeah, this is. I don't. I think. I think the year. I think it was like 2017, maybe 2016. I at the time on uh, hitting Twitter had just gone crazy about like self organization. You know, body will organize the way. Mm-hmm. You know. So, you know, and, and then and there's some truth to it. I'm not going to get into that piece, but anyway, the 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 start of it is I'm like getting to the point where I thought I really had some of this hitting stuff figured out. So I, one of the things we needed to do is hit velo and because we couldn't hit velo, we, every time we'd see 88 plus, we just got carved up. So, uh, we, we pulled the big hack out and, uh, junior college. One of the problems already is that, uh, some of your balls are a little questionable. Uh, and some of them are roughed up. Maybe the cover is even torn. So big hack, bad balls, tough combo uh, to start with. But we were throwing velo at our guys. Now, when I say we, it was just me because nobody else wanted to do it. Everybody else is like, (laughs) hey, these guys can't hit this. And I'm like, well, that's why we're hitting it. They're going to figure it out. And uh, we would finish a a BP day and there would probably be five balls hit into the field and then like 270, 275 balls in the back of the cage. So uh, it was not going well, but I was thinking like, ah, hey, uh, trust the process, trust the process. I we're going to get there. there. Oh, I love this story. And, and so we're, I mean, and we're terrible, Jonathan, like to start the season, we, we couldn't hit, um, we're getting like two hits a game. It's just, and we'd, we'd get them like in the eighth, like every day it was like, okay, are we going to get no hit today? You know? And then like the eighth, we'd break the no hitter. It was like, oh, thank God. Not today. So our, our head coach at Bakersfield College, he said he needed me to go see a, a baseball game on a Monday. And um, so I go recruit and I wasn't at practice. It's one of like the two or three days that I, I missed practice in my my time there. And I came to the game the next day and I said, hey, I'll practice go. And uh, the other assistants were like, oh, it was good. You know, and I said, hey, did we hit the machine, right? And they're like, oh, yeah, we hit the machine. I was like, okay, you know, that the guys do better on velo. And they're like, oh, uh, yeah, Coach, Coach P said that's out. He's like, no, we, we hit like really soft machine. And I was like mad. I was furious. I was like, what? You know, like, come on. I, you know, how are we going to tell the guys to trust the process? Then we change it on. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went out that day. And from hitter one to hitter, I don't know, we probably had 60 guys at the plate that day. We just raped. Um, we hit, I mean, doubles, homers, we crushed, and it was against a, a pitcher who had some velo. So I'm like, no way. You know, we just had 20 hits and scored 15 runs. Like, that's awesome. So the next day, I was like, well, I guess we'll set it at the same thing that we did on Monday. And so we set the machine up, and they showed me the velo. It was like, I mean, the ball is like arcing to the plate. Like it was, <laughs> wow. Okay. It was incredibly slow and the guys are hitting it and they're like, yeah, this is what it was set at Monday. And I'm thinking, Oh my goodness. Like this has gone from being embarrassing at how fast the pitches were that we weren't hitting to like how embarrassing this is that we're hitting like eight U pitching, you know, in, in junior college <laughs> and, and Jonathan, the rest of the season, I think we averaged 10 runs a game. We averaged like 12 wow. to 15 hits a game. And it was like, after it, after a couple of days, like it just hit me. I'm like, wait a minute, I I can't get on this like thing and just keep it there. Um, I I've got really got to like tailor this to the guys and what we need. And I should have 
I should have had Field to back off that velo way before the head coach stepped in. And like, kudos to kudos to Tim Payton at Bakersfield College for like being patient with me and just like letting me do that. Um, I would have fired me probably at that point. Like, <laughs> like, hey guy, you know you you can't do this. You know we we're not hitting and we look bad in batting practice. But yeah, that oh, was I love that story, man. That was like a that moment is going to be etched into my my brain forever. No, and I, I can completely empathize with that because I think, and if you're a coach who hasn't, then I think that that you may need to do some self reflection because I think we all look back on some things we did, and just shake our heads. And I just want to send texts to certain players and go, "Man, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> I, just, oh, I no completely doubt. screwed that that up, or what, whatever that that thing is. Uh, and it may not be a career, but it may be like a concept or a thought process and. And so I, I really, I, I love the lob machine uh, toss drill. That's really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. It'll get your offense going. So, uh, <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to give that a shot. Uh, and it's funny that you mentioned that. So the last week of the season, and this is how variable high school baseball is. So we, we were in regionals and uh, we hosted a regional. And so the, the first game that we, that we played, uh, they, you know, the, the, the team wasn't, wasn't that great. And uh, they decided to go the opposite direction of, hey, these guys see 85 plus all the time. We're going to throw, and I kid you not, topped out, topped out at 59. And so we saw 59 on uh, a Friday. And then we turn around the next week and we see uh, probably the number two righty in Oklahoma who was uh, 90, 92 to 94 and then would touch 95. So that's like a, a week split in the, in the week or in the, you know, the, the process of becoming a high school hitter. And so understanding <laughs> that you're, we're going to see both of those extremes and, uh, man, it's, it's, it's tough. So just understanding like, you know, velo every day. And, and, and it's just, for me, it was one of those moments of we've got to learn to hit the soft stuff too, which we're going to see from time to time. Yeah. Buckle up. We got to hit it. Yeah. yeah. Our worst, like our worst inning of the year here in Rancho was a like position player on the mound. Um, mm-hmm. we've had a couple, but we had one who was mixing in like, uh, I don't even know what the velo was, but an EFIS that was incredibly slow and, uh, we didn't even know what to do with it. And I didn't even know what to say. I said like, hang with them. <laughs> like, let's mm-hmm. just, there's, there's not much we can do. That's kind of tough. Yeah. Well, and for me with, with the high school guys too, I, I, I'm sure there's, they may not be saying this, but I'm sure that they're thinking this of why is this guy getting me out? Or you hear this from amateur players all the time. If he's throwing too slow, I'm like, well, what, his job is to get you out, bro. Like figure out how to, how to do this. And it's, some of it is a mindset of, I can't believe I'm getting out against this guy. Then you get out two more times and you're just, you know, you go through that, uh, you know, the, 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 the confidence waning stage that we were talking about earlier but i did want to throw that in there because i I didn't even realize that that was the same week that we saw 59 we saw 95 and it's like oh man we we better buckle up and be ready to go that's incredible (laughs) for sure but i know you've i know you're a busy guy so I, i want to get to these quick hitters before uh before you go and so you know one of the things that that i really i love getting to talk with the guests is what they're learning so what is something that you've learned lately that you're really excited about uh well spanish uh we've talked about that (laughs) we talked Mm -hmm. about this a lot um spanish is something that is always evolving and uh, we've got great support here with the dodgers and uh, so we're working on it i wouldn't say i've learned spanish i'm 
learning. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, it's tough. Process. It's a process. Yeah. But um, also just talking a lot about like hip and shoulder function with our, uh, our trainer here in Rancho, our strength guys. Um, and, and some of like the dysfunctions and like the reverberations from some of those issues, like talking through that is uh, really big. It like anatomy, the anatomy classes I took in college and exercise physiology and all that, they, they're, they're great, but um, there's not a lot of like baseball specific anatomy and physio or exercise physiology classes. And um it, the throwing and hitting, they're just so complex that when there are some like deficiencies, I'm sort of learning uh, what'll come from those, uh, what we can do to band-aid or to, to build. Um, and uh, so that's been really interesting. Oh, I love it. So second question is, what is something that you've changed your mind about lately and why? Definitely quality versus quantity. Um, and quality was something like, uh, there was a quote I heard, which was the hitters that hit the most hit the most. Um, but at the same time, uh, I've learned that that's not always uh, true. Um, quality, the quality has to be there. Um, because if you take 10,000 hacks, um, and it's really unrefined and you're not improving anything, you're just getting tired. Uh, so you definitely, we want to attack like quality in all, all facets all the time. And that's not something that maybe I, I wasn't thinking about before, but now I'm hyper, hyper mindful of, of the quality of the, uh, the swings. I love that. Next question is what is a drill that your players love that we can steal from you? And I'm going to take away the, the different seamed and the different, uh, the different speed of flips. So what's another one that we can steal from you? Um, the, one of, one of our guys was asking for like a competition day in BP, uh, in spring training. So we did, we did one there. We've done a couple since, uh, so like competition BP and like throwing some type of, uh, we, I throw like a gift card. Actually last time it was 20 bucks. Cause I didn't, I didn't stop and get a gift card. And we hadn't done a competition in a couple of days, so we did a uh, we did a competition on the clipboard as a twenty dollar bill, and uh, that was pretty fun. That was just a competition. I think we hit velo machine for barrels, and the the guys just basically said yes or no, like yeah he barreled that or no he didn't, and we crowned a winner, and uh, so that was cool. Uh, but yeah, they really liked that, and. Um, I think at the college level, you can't, you can't give away money or high school level. You probably can't give away money, but you probably can give away some swag and you might have like that sweatshirt. That's more than four years old. Um, that new <laughs> sweatshirt, you know, that's like five years old. So nobody has sure. it in your, on your organization because mm -hmm. they're, they're only there for four years. So pull that thing out and like, there you go. Now you have a, now you have a, uh, a baseball sweatshirt from your school. And like, it's a really cool swag item that the guy might want to get because nobody else can get it. So that's awesome. I love that idea. Last question is what's one book or resource in general that has changed your coaching career? Oh, uh, I, I got to give you two, Jonathan, because, um, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, the first one is, uh, chase the lion by Mark Batterson. So, um, 
uh, our mutual friend Tony Capicilli turned this on to me. And I love Tony. Yeah, he's he's awesome. Um, anytime he makes a recommendation, I usually look into it. And uh, so Chase the Lion is, is really good. And uh, I think it's a great for, for any coach who may be like looking at their aspirations and thinking, is this what I want to do or is there better? Um, Chase the Lion is a great one. And then the other one is uh, Who Moved My Cheese by Spencer Johnson. It's an older book, really quick read, but um, nice little tale about uh, maybe the way we should look at things and, and constantly be critical of our own process. Well, awesome. Well, Dylan, man, I love the conversations we get to have. Uh, and so I, I'm, I'm thankful that we got to share this one with thousands of listeners. But I did, uh, I put your contact info in the show notes. And again, let me be the first to say thank you again for sharing as much as you did. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? Um, no, I, I mean, we're, we're all in this for impact. You know, we're trying to make our players and hopefully the world a better place. And uh, so I, I think this this show is a great uh, a great way to help coaches do that. And uh, thanks for having me on. I mean, I'm I'm flattered to be on with you've had some outstanding guests, and um, just just flattered to be on the show. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which could include Apple Podcasts. Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.